Hey everyone, I wanted to do a little bit of a quick, um, I suppose, educational snippet today about dissociation, which is a term that often comes up in trauma literature and it comes up when people are talking about their traumatic experiences and it's something I may have mentioned on the podcast a couple of times already but not really talked in a great deal about what it is. So I want to talk to you about what dissociation is under the umbrella term, kind of what are some of the terms that fall under that in terms of this um, dimensional category of, um, it's not really a dimensional category, that's kind of like an oxymoron what I just said, but a way of looking at things across a continuum. I think that's the word I was looking for. So we'll talk about what dissociation is. And then I want to talk a little bit about what you can do to help someone who's dissociating in front of you. Because once you've learned to spot it, um, you'll see it everywhere. And it's not necessarily to say that dissociation is a bad thing. Sometimes it's actually quite protective and it's quite a healthy and adaptive thing to do, but it can become distressing for people, either the person who is dissociating and doesn't understand what's happening or is struggling to bring themselves back to the present. So I think, again, if you look at this idea of birth workers as being emotional first responders, having something up your tool belt or in your tool belt wherever you're putting your tool belt, um, that you can do if you can sense that someone is just starting to lose lose track of where they are, who they are, what's happening, and it's distressing for them. All right, so what is dissociation? Or you might hear, you might hear it referred to as disassociation, which isn't wrong. When I was um, in the ivory towers, that is academia, I was definitely taught to say that saying disassociation is wrong. It's a different word and it implies a different meaning. But when you look it up, I'm not actually convinced that that's true. So it doesn't really matter, I don't think. It's the same with, um, this is another one that health professionals argue on, is empathic versus empathetic. Like I hear a lot of people say empathetic and I was taught that you're supposed to say the active empathic who cares, right? So long as we actually know what we're talking about and we're on the same page, I don't think it matters. But dissociation is a state of consciousness that is altered. Now, how much it's altered depends on this dimensional interpretation of it. So if you were to draw an imaginary horizontal line in your mind, or you draw it in front of you, you're starting at one end on the left-hand side with zero, right? And so very, very, very few people, if you assess them for dissociative experiences, will have had none, okay? It's a very normal, adaptive experience that we all have. It just depends, of course, like all things in mental health and behavior, it depends on how you want to define it. So up the milder end of the spectrum are things like daydreaming, um, getting lost in a book, getting lost in a movie, thinking that you hear your name called when your name hasn't actually been called, things like driving along in your car and then all of a sudden going, oh, whoops, how did I get here? I wasn't really paying attention. Things like when you are arguably good things, like when you're in flow. So when you are performing a piece of music and then you look down and then see your hands flying across the strings or the keys 
and you don't actually feel like you are in control of that. Not that you're like a puppet, but almost like some other entity has taken over you. And when you talk to people who experience quite a bit of creative flow, that's something that they commonly will talk about, this idea that like a muse or something else just kind of takes them over. So it's a sense that you're not 100% exactly with it or in control or conscious of what you're doing, if that makes sense, but not necessarily in a negative way. Then if we creep up towards the middle ground sort of experience, this is more things like losing periods of time for whatever reason. And it's not because you've forgotten, it's just because you weren't present and you were somewhere else and you don't necessarily know where that somewhere else was. Some people can describe um, say for example, I don't know, a good example might be you're in a really, really, really boring lecture and you daydream, but then you take that daydreaming almost to the next level and find yourself engaged in like full on fantasy. Hopefully it's a good one. Or you're just somewhere else and something brings your attention back to your current awareness. Like somebody walks through the door or somebody coughs or you get called on in class and you're like, huh, What? I was completely somewhere else, not paying attention. So that's, you know, for some people that's a more um, significant experience than it is for others. And for some people it's easier to bring themselves back than for others. But there's also things like, um, I suppose, having the experience where you leave your body, so to speak. So it might be a pleasant thing, like say you're having a really amazing sexual encounter and it's like an out-of-body experience, or I'm not talking about experiences where you're taking a mind-altering substance, by the way. So no alcohol, no pot, no hallucinogens, nothing like that. This is just you, your (laughs) normal self, whatever that means, but not under the influence of any medication or anything like that. So feeling out of body. It can also happen when unpleasant things happen. So when people get assaulted or they see and hear and experience things that are really, really, really upsetting and devastating. And so people talk about this experience sometimes where if they've been assaulted or if they're birthing, which depending on your experience and how you want to look at it and how you want to talk about it, we know that obstetric violence is a thing and that people can potentially leave their bodies for a minute because it's arguably safer, more pleasant, more safe to not feel like you're in your body at the time. So sometimes people talk about this idea of like floating on up out of your body and almost being like a fly on the wall in the corner of the room looking down on what's happening to you as if it's not happening to you but you're watching it or it's happening to someone else or you're watching a movie or you're playing like a computer game or something like that. Um, A more extreme example of that would be um, if you've ever watched the movie Precious, it's a difficult movie to watch so it's fiction but it's not completely fiction. That's a difficult movie to watch, so I'll warn you with that now. But it gives a really good example of how, uh, yeah, the character Precious, when she's being assaulted many, many, many times in her childhood, something that she does is imagine that she's a singer on a stage. And so she takes herself off somewhere that is better than where she is at the moment. And that arguably is actually a really helpful strategy that it's not something people are necessarily conscious of but it's a way of protecting you from what's happening to you 
at the time. And kids in particular are quite good at this because they're much more open to imagination and don't really know the difference between, you know, what's real and what's imagined. So that's a thing that happens quite frequently. Um, Under the banner of dissociation, I guess it's good to clarify here. Sometimes you'll hear people refer to the more specific terms like um, depersonalization, which means what you see and what you feel and what you smell happening at the moment doesn't feel like it's happening to you. So again, you can kind of put this back to the out-of-body experience, like if you're being assaulted or you're birthing or something is happening to your body, that it's someone else's body. It's that sense that it's actually not your body um, or you have an altered sense of what your body is like. So, um, you know, like maybe you think your hands look really, really big and puffy or maybe you think your body is really, really, really tiny like a little bird or a fairy or something like that. So that altered sense of you're not quite you, this is not quite your body, there's some variation on it. It also helps people to, I guess, perform tasks, behaviours that potentially are really unpleasant or that are out of character. So when you talk to um, potentially people like vets who part of their job is have to do like euthanize animals. So I've talked to vets before who talk about they just depersonalize. It's not them. It's not really real. It's not happening. They're aware of everything that's going on. Um, but it's that ability to take yourself and your feelings and your emotions out of it in a kind of extreme way. And when it becomes habitual, I guess you, uh, yeah, you habituate to it. So that's one example. Another example might be soldiers when they're talking about, um, different things that they had to do when they were in places that they were doing things that soldiers have to do depersonalizing so it's more like watching um a video game or it's more like a movie and you're not they're really there you're there pulling the trigger but it doesn't actually feel like you and that is a huge split sometimes that you can understand people have to resolve within themselves when they have done something that isn't in alignment with who they are when they think about themselves and their values and all that kind of stuff. I don't want to go off on a tangent about that, but it's just to give you a sense of what depersonalization feels like. Derealization is when it's kind of similar, but it's um, it's when you feel the sense that something isn't real. So maybe you still identify as yourself, but what's unfolding in front of you isn't real. Um, and you would have heard people talk about that, like this experience where something horrific, horrific happens, it feels like it wasn't real. It's not really happening. Um, it's made up. It's pretend. Um, and that often happens to people, again, as a protective mechanism when, for example, like riots happen or a bushfire happens or a natural disaster happens and it's so quick and it's so unexpected and um, particularly if it's involving interpersonal factors, so involving other people suddenly en masse behaving in ways that we wouldn't expect people to behave, like in riots, it can feel like it's not real. And people talk about the experience of, um, you know, cowering under their like shop front or sitting in their house and just watching all this stuff unfold in front of them and going, this just doesn't even feel real. It's like a video game. Um, this is sometimes where when you see people involved in something really frightening or traumatic, they, um, they might laugh at a point talking about something or watching something or hearing about something that's not real. And I think part of that, you could argue, is part of that defense mechanism. Their brain is like, this isn't real. So in order to protect yourself from the horror of what's happening, sometimes you find something funny. So that's a bit of a 
fly by the seat of your pants discussion of what dissociation is at the level that we're usually dealing with. So what you'll typically notice when someone dissociates is that their eye movements change. This is not like a, um, it's not an exact science, but typically when someone is talking to me and I know that they're now not present with me, they're up going back into the memory of where they were. Their eyes will go up and typically kind of maybe to the left. Um, You can research it a bit. There's all kinds of science around eye movements and saccades, which are the small eye movements that we make for reading and other activities, micro expressions, all that kind of stuff that talks about where people's eye movements go when they're recalling certain information. Um, And so typically when someone's in the present and if it's culturally appropriate to do so they will look at you you know in the face and in the eye sort of directly but have breaks every now and then when someone is remembering something um that's not happening right now their eyes typically go up and there's different arguments about whether to the left or the right or down or wherever um or if they're lying and all that kind of stuff but it's a it's a a small guide if somebody suddenly changes their eye movements when they're talking about something that's happening they might be going back into that moment and they're not here with you right now. Um, Sometimes people's breathing suddenly changes to match the experience at the time. It can also be that people find dissociating quite calming. So I know for me, when I dissociate, for a really long time, actually, I thought that was just me being calm. I thought, oh, yeah, my breathing's changed. My heart rate slowed right down. I feel like my voice is quite um, measured and controlled and I feel really, 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 really calm. And it's taken quite a while and a few different experiences talking about my own trauma to realise that actually, in some circumstances, I'm actually like quite good at dissociating because it feels exactly the same and when it's not dangerous and it's not unpleasant and it's not maladaptive as I said at the start dissociating is not necessarily a problem it's quite an adaptive um, healthy thing to do it's when somebody's starting to get distressed um, and you know you need them to be back with you talking about what you're talking about so when you notice someone dissociating it might be that they're starting to get really stressed and their heart rate's going up and they're behaving as if they are back talking about their as if they're back at their birth not just that they're talking about it but that they're back there and all the things that they're feeling and sensing are very real as if it's right back there now um or it might be the opposite that they do what I do and get really really calm their voice changes and then all of a sudden they just seem really really composed and really really calm so I guess what you want to do is first get some sense of whether that's an okay thing, not an okay thing, but whether that's a safe place for that person to be at the moment or if they need to be coming back. If they're getting, if you're not getting, let's say you're trying to um, talk with them about their birth experience and they're not able to keep bringing themselves back to the present moment and they're constantly getting distressed. That's obviously an example where you want to bring someone back from dissociation. Um which is all sounding very um, like evangelical kind of, I don't know, imagining people writhing around churches now, like bringing them back. But I think you know what I mean in that sense of getting them to reorient to where they are. So it might be just getting them to touch the arms of the chair and just, just you don't even need to point out how you're dissociating. It's just let's just come back into your body for a moment. 
let's just pay attention to what the chair feels like. Maybe just see and sit and talk about what it feels like having your seat bones sitting in your chair. Or it might be something visual. Let's just talk about this painting on the wall. Let's change our breathing. Something to bring them back to the present moment. And something um, I do quite regularly is often if I'm noticing someone's dissociating and it's either stressful or it's not useful for what we're doing at the moment, like that we're in therapy. And every time we're trying to work on... um, you know, getting their brain to habituate to the stress. If it keeps, if they keep dissociating, that's, we're not ever going to get there because it's kind of like a, um, automatic response. So it might be just reminding them what year is it right now? What month is it right now? What day is it right now? Or I might get them to reorient by, um, again, if it's culturally appropriate to do so, getting them to look at my face. So if they're stuck dissociating and all they can see is their attacker's face, I might get them to look at my face and describe my face. So what colour of my eyes? Am I having a good hair day? How many wrinkles can you see? Something like that. Something to just bring them back to the present moment um, so that they're not going into panic and their brain's not going back into that fight or flight mode because it's very taxing on your nervous system as you can imagine if you're constantly going back into fight or flight mode so that's it's really really just a basic thing um of again not having to be a mental health expert not having to go in and like save people or rescue them or change something just for the sake of your personal comfort but you can kind of see how constantly checking out of reality whatever that is can with time be difficult it can make it difficult to get um I suppose vital pieces of information that you need if you're in a situation and you're working with somebody and you need to get information um to gently bring them back to the present moment and not have them feel so intimidated and so overwhelmed by what's happening and I, you know, when I can sense that someone is back to where they are, I would talk about it and say, I noticed, and I always talk about what you observe. Don't go in like you know everything because you don't. What you think might have been dissociating might have been something else. It might have been, yep, I just checked out for a couple of seconds because you're boring me to death. <laughs> like it happens. So you just notice what you are observing if you're noticing a change in behavior and a huge thing about um I suppose mental health training is looking for changes in behavior observable changes that you can then feed back to the person that you're talking to and say this is what I noticed how did you feel did you notice that too and sometimes people won't for a long time they'll be like I don't know what you're talking about um and so that's potentially something to work on in a therapeutic context but just in a um a situation, I suppose, birth is difficult because birth is an out-of-body, altered state of consciousness state anyway. So I'm not necessarily talking about during active labour. I think assessing whether someone is dissociating during active labour is neither useful, necessary, nor is it, um, how would you even do that? Like it's an altered state anyway. I'm talking about when somebody is recollecting I suppose later on they're telling you their birth story um or it might be when if you're a midwife or a doula and you're doing like an intake situation and you're asking people about previous experiences and you're getting them to talk about birth and even just something that you've said 
or something that you've asked them has triggered a traumatic memory and they're going back into that. That's the kind of situation that I'm talking about where it would be useful to say, oh, I noticed that um, when you were talking about this just now that your eyes changed focused and I noticed that your breathing changed and I noticed and whatever else you noticed and just ask them about it and see are they aware of it or not. And then if they have no awareness of it, which happens sometimes, you can say, well, have has anyone else ever spoken to you about this before I'm just I'm wondering if you're feeling okay if if you're feeling safe if there's something different I can be doing so the purposes of this is not to be like assessing them for dissociation to figure out like is there pathology there or not the purpose of helping someone with this is to help them find find the gaps I suppose that they can't see for themselves if it's helpful um, and to help them feel safe as much as possible, there is so much more we can be doing for birthing people to help them feel safe with the whole process from, you know, that intake with a midwife appointment through to talking about your birth after because there are so many levels and nuances and layers of people's lives and people's traumas and the ways that their bodies have been treated that we are unaware of. And that's why I think um, having some awareness of what dissociation is and how you might help someone through it would be helpful. So that's a bit of a snapshot. Um, I might go into it more in some level later. I haven't really covered the serious stuff, which is dissociative identity disorder, dissociative fugue. Um, They are really, really rare occurrences. And we are talking more like severe, severe trauma, personality, pathology, that kind of stuff. We're talking about experiences where like people wander off for days, weeks and have no recollection um, of what they were doing, who they were with. They're not typical things that happen despite what um, Hollywood and the media would have us believe. And I guess um, the whole thing with dissociative identity disorder or what used to be called called multiple personality disorder is that there's still debate about whether it even exists. I've seen it. I believe it does exist, but it's extremely, extremely rare and most of us would never see it in our lifetime. So I don't think that's necessarily the kind of stuff we need to be talking about now. Let's just leave it with um, what I've talked about today. I hope that was useful. I actually love talking about dissociation because I think it's um, it's pretty fascinating and it's an experience that's common to all of us. But if you're feeling like you need to just sort of ground yourself a bit, get your shoes off, try and put your feet on, you know, like the bare grass or some ground or, you know, just something of a natural substance, unless it's freezing outside, but, you know, hey, that might be fun too. <laughs> and, you know, tilt your head back, Put your shoulders and your chest back and take a nice, long, slow breath in and have like a good two minutes to actually think about what you're doing for the rest of the day if you're needing to ground yourself from any of that. Um, Next week, I'm going to be talking to the amazing Nisha Gill all about embodiment work, how is trauma stored in the body, somatic experiencing, 
and I suppose some more of the what we like to call like neck down kind of stuff like all about how you might discharge trauma when it's in your body so she has got some good tips and strategies for birth workers to use if they're in a birth and they're feeling overwhelmed they're just feeling their adrenals and everything is you know getting a little bit too out of hand and you know some things that you can do if you're witnessing a birth and you're starting to feel stressed and you particularly if you can't leave right because that's sometimes happens where you can't just nip out and take a break you've actually got to be there supporting the birthing person and your body is starting to get tense and you're starting to get stressed so make sure you join me for that one because that's got some really really good good information and in the meantime if you want to connect with me you're thinking you might want to do some more mentoring or you want to join my um i was gonna say exclusive well i suppose it is exclusive uh facebook group for birth workers you can find all of that info at drerin.com.au and i'll talk to you next time have a lovely day